Welcome to Video Store. My name is Sam Mulberry. Today we are talking about the 1999 Claire Denis film Beau Travai. So let's step into Barrett Fisher's Video Store. Barrett, how you doing? Doing great. Barrett, um, this one's a winner for me. I uh, I would I knew nothing about this movie going in, and it 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 hit a lot of things that I'm interested in and things I didn't expect. Um, I'm curious, is this a movie you had seen before? Well, it depends how 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 uh, how much before uh, what we mean by before. I I watched it shortly after the Sight and Sound list came out. Oh, so so, re- so real recently. Here, recently, yeah. I so I watched it. In, I don't know, what January, February, something like that. That was my first time. Do you remember your your first? Well, obviously, it wasn't that long ago. Your first right. impressions upon watching this, and then we can talk about rewatching because I actually find rewatching this movie interesting. Yeah, yeah. My, my first impression was. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be really frank. I, I was kind of underwhelmed. I was like, yeah, okay. So, you know, I get elliptical movies. I, you know, that that's fine. But what's, you know, what's what's really, what what's everybody so excited about, right? I guess that was it. I mean, I thought it was a good film. I thought, why is everybody so excited about it? And I started reading about it. I started thinking about it. And then I went back to it again, you know, for this, for this conversation. And my appreciation has like tripled or what I mean it's because I, I I realized that you know we've talked a lot about films teaching you how to watch them and uh, maybe I didn't know how this film wanted me to watch it and think about it um, and so when I went back and I started paying attention to different things I think that you know on my first watching the film especially a film like this which is based loosely on Melville's Billy Budd you know a lot of my attention was on the narrative and and there's plenty of narrative but there's a lot more going on in this film than the narrative. And I guess once I realized there were other things going on to pay attention to, that really deepened my appreciation. I'm glad that you told the story you just told because I, when I was writing my notes, I had written a question in here and then I actually crumpled up the paper and threw it away and started over because I thought, well, that doesn't have to do with this movie. Although I realized for me it does, which is this is a movie that, in terms of teaching you how to watch it, I feel like one of the things it teaches you is to go back and watch it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that that I really do think so. So I usually try to watch these, watch whatever our movies are twice in the week, mostly because I'm new to them and I and I need to I want to watch it once and then watch it a second time and take notes. Um, but I was amazed how much I really loved this movie the first time, although there were baffling moments and moments mm-hmm. where I got to the end and I was like, wait a minute, this thing that happened, was that in Marseille or was that in Djibouti? Because it mm. it doesn't initially scream that to you that we're going to be in two timelines and two locations. So then you get into the middle of the movie and by the time you realize it, you realize, I don't know what I saw before. Mm-hmm. Um, so so a question, the question that I had, and again, this isn't necessarily um, specific to this movie, but like the fact that this movie really kind of needs to be seen a second time to to really start to take it all in. Is that a weakness of a movie or a strength of a movie? Cause you could argue either way. You could argue like if the piece doesn't stand on its own in one viewing, like, is that, is that, is that something that that's weak about the film or the idea that it, I think if I watched this a third time, I would see something else entirely different in it. The more I think about it, the more I think of, little edges and moments in there that, that I could blow up into something else. So, so what do you think about a movie that, that almost demands that you watch it again? Yeah, I think, I think it's a strength. I think that um, it's what separates certain movies uh, as art from other movies as simply entertainment. 
I realize there are lots of reasons to rewatch films. I mean, I can think of films that I rewatch that are not particularly taxing, but it's just because I enjoy them. Um, but I think that a film that it, it works like a, any great work of art. I mean, how many how many times uh, do you need to look at a Van Gogh painting before you say, I'm done looking at Van Gogh, right? How many times do you read um, poetry of Robert Frost before you say, well, I've read all, I've read Robert Frost already. So I think any art worth its worth its name is needs to be revisited. There may be different reasons for revisiting it, but I think that the the, the fact that you want that we, you want to or need even need to watch it again is uh, to me it's a sign of strength. I think the fact that you that your examples went to visual arts and poetry speak to this film as well. That I feel like like they both they they, they work in those uh, on that level. Um, before we go any further, can you tell me about Claire Denis? This is the first Claire Denis film I've seen. Um, do you have a sense of her as a filmmaker? Is this movie indicative of her work? Is this uh, an anomaly in her work? That's a really good question, Sam, because this is the first Claire Denis film I've seen. And I'm well aware of, I'm well aware of her reputation. I've known her reputation for a number of years, but, it, but um, so I'm going to answer your question by going to a different critic, going to Jonathan Rosenbaum. And when, when this film came out, and Rosenbaum wrote his review of it in 1999. He said, I don't know whether she's been making films this great all along and I haven't realized it, or whether this has been a breakthrough film for her. So I think so, so I think there's a little bit of a debate about that. But I I read a mo- I have a monograph on, on Denis that was actually written right after Beau Traval. So she had already done enough significant work before then. Um, at the same time, I think everybody would say. Um, a little bit like with Chantal Ackerman. I think everybody would say this is kind of the Olympus of her career. This is still a real high point for her. Uh, but I don't know enough about her style to say how typical of her style this is. Sure, sure. Um, I, so I'm going to say, when I I watched this this past Saturday for the first time, my daughter and I watched it, and I knew nothing about the movie. And I just said, do you want to watch a great French film. I'm like, that's all that I know about it is it's high on the sight and sound list and it's in French. And she was like, those two things, this speaks well of my daughter. We're like, oh yes, please let's do that. Um, It turns out this is the perfect movie for she and I to watch because it connected to something we've both, she and I have both been really interested in and watching together. Uh, and and maybe this is a bit of a stretch, but we, we spent the last couple months, and especially we spent one long weekend in in the fall watching uh, late seventies and eighties Vietnam War movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really so 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 she and I are really interested in like, well, how do you tell those stories and and some of these things? And and obviously this is not that. But it was it was fascinating to watch this and realize, well, this is actually this lines up more closely with things we've been spending time on. So mm-hmm. um, I think this you could easily it doesn't need to be, but you could put this in conversation with movies like Platoon and Apocalypse mm-hmm. Now and Full Metal Jacket in, in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, very different. Um, I mean, for example, this movie is about a. Uh, I don't I don't know the actual ranks in the Legion, but like a sergeant training troops and thinking about what his relationship is to them and, um, you know, potentially picking out someone and trying to break that person, which mm-hmm. is what the first half of Full Metal Jacket is about. It's, again, different story, but but there are there are definitely parallels there. Um, my daughter, when I asked her, what movie does this make you think of? She said Platoon, and she said because 
you in that movie you have this triangle of characters in the same way you do in this um you know and there you have uh you have the the uh, uh Willem Dafoe and Tom Berenger character both kind of vying for uh the the Charlie Sheen character so she was like oh maybe think of that and then I mean the, the to me the, the one that jumped out to me was Apocalypse Now for one thing they're both heavily they're they're both like visually impressionistic or poetic movies they are um heavy in voiceover mm-hmm. uh, and kind of reflective voiceover and they're both adaptations of late 19th early 20th century um novellas uh and 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 then there is just something to the idea of like and I think when you when, when when Americans reflect on the Vietnam War and and a big thing of this movie is there is this overall sense of also like why are we here, mm-hmm. like, like 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 why were we in Vietnam and especially in this movie like what is at this point what is the French Foreign Legion doing in Djibouti, mm-hmm. and the movie asks that question in interesting ways usually by having the the locals at a distance watching these people train and just and and without them saying anything you just get this sense of why are they there mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I, i'm glad you i'm glad you brought that up <clears throat> the the whole kind of colonial subtext uh djibouti was under you know, french rule for um almost 100 years from uh, 1883 to 1977 and you know it's and 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 one of the one of the last one of the voiceovers that Galoup has as he leaves, right, as he says, goodbye, good riddance, Frenchie, and don't ever come back. So um, Denis is not heavy-handed about the colonial element, but it's clearly there. And it's also there in um, the the Djibouti women often serve as a kind of, um, Rosenbaum calls them a kind of a chorus, the kind of witnesses. So you often have them looking on just either in bafflement or you have the, the goat herder, the, the woman herding the goats that's sort of really aggressively, you know, shaking her fist at them. So yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely um, a, a subtext that uh, kind of, uh, yeah, you wonder why, why are they still there when they're no longer the colonial power? Well, I thought about this as actually a really great nineties movie because of this. I mean, if we think about like, this is a war movie without a war and, um, you know, pre 9-11 in the 1990s, there was this sense of like, we're sort of post-colonial, but we're also post-Cold War. So there is this like, are we, have we, you know, kind of the end of history argument, like, have we reached this point where we don't need these things anymore? Or like, like, like have, have we moved past some of these things? Have all the great kind of ideological wars been fought? So, I mean, it's interesting if this movie comes out uh, three or four years later, the context is different because you know you're you're in a global war on terror which hasn't started yet but but the bubblings of it are there i also mm-hmm. wonder what it would be like to have what to be french and watch this movie in 1999 mm. um i would I, I i did a little bit of reading on this because i remember uh in the fall watch or reading something about uh when the world cup was going on and they were talking about the 1998 world cup which france wins led by zenadine zidane who is a oh. muslim from Alge- uh, Algerian Muslim. And there was all this stuff about uh, kind of throughout the 90s, but especially late 90s, tension about what does it mean to be French and um, ten- uh, kind of racial, ethnic, religious tension in France and uh, terrorist attacks uh, on, on French soil um, from mm-hmm. uh, from mu- uh, Algerian Muslim groups. 
Uh, so it was fascinating to think about like how how do how would this film read in that context as well, um, which would which is different than say the American context of 1999, where we weren't thinking about those questions in the same way. Mm-hmm. True. Um, I think a, another fascinating piece of this, and you've already mentioned it, is uh, that this is yet another really interesting act of adaptation. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I, I presume you've read Billy Budd. Okay, I had never read it. I so I watched this movie, no context for that, uh, and then I went back and read it afterwards because I was this weekend because I was like, oh, I, I kind of want to know what the source material is like, and that is made this movie even more interesting because again, the I'm, I'm now I'm completely fascinated by the choices directors and screenwriters make because basically the the novel Billy Budd is written in third person or first person from some unnamed character who's who's kind of watching um and what denis does is take who is functionally the villain of billy bud and say that's the story who i wanted i want to tell his story from his point of view mm-hmm. which is a really interesting way because that that novel does not make you think about at least not i don't think about claggett as like well that's actually the person I, whose head i want to get into right. but she clearly is like actually this is the per and and she's right as i think about it in hindsight it's like well that actually is the most interesting person because what is going on with him um and and so so, so she imagines that story from his point of view um and that radically changes the way you think about it yeah and um and i don't know if this w- was also in her mind i actually haven't seen any references to it but i also think there's a strong element of shakespeare's iago uh in this as well and of course in 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 that in the play othello you actually do get iago's point of view he has soliloquies explaining uh sort of not explaining himself but but saying what he's doing and why he's going to do it and some of the lines that Galoop has actually are very Iago-like in that respect. He says, um, you know, I felt something vague and menacing take hold of me. Uh, deep down, I felt a sort of rancor, um, something overpowering took hold of my heart, um, which, is, which is interesting because that means, you know, you get, you get insight into somebody who is self-aware, but his self-awareness does not keep him from acting as he does. Whereas I think, you know, Clygert's motivation is kind of intentionally um, mysterious. Um, as you say, it's a third person. You don't really know what's going on inside his head. But with Galoop, you do. And so you end up having this kind of reluctant, as with Iago, you end up having this kind of reluctant sympathy with him. He doesn't, he do, I don't think anyway, he doesn't repulse us. Um, and also because uh, he's really interesting to look at. Uh, and the camera kind of loves him. And then you see him in his relationship with his girlfriend. So there's lots of things that she does to kind of humanize him. So unlike Iago, he doesn't seem to be a demi-devil. He just seems to be a man who, for whatever reason, has been unable to control a passion that he can't explain. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I think of the the, and I read the novel really quickly, so I could have missed things in this. But like the novel has a sense of, uh, of, I don't know if objectivity is the right word, but not, you don't get the subjective point of views, but then the last few chapters of the novel make you question that a little bit. Cause there's, there are these other pieces that make you that sort of are pointing to how this story then gets remembered later or reported. And it makes you question, well, was what I saw actually objective or was it from a subjective point of view where here by putting this through Galoo's point of view from the beginning, 
she is and this is this is maybe a little bit teaching you how to watch this that i wasn't grabbing the first time is like she is telling you this is a subjective story i mean he even says right away you know i screwed up from a certain point of view points of view matter Mm -hmm. angles of attack right like so 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 he is almost the first thing he says is telling us this there there are points of view here and if you could just see it from my point of view maybe you maybe you would understand but at the same time this is a movie loaded with a uh a kind of remorse or or at least he's he's wrestling with with this as he's reflecting on it right he has that line about how uh the the path to freedom is through remorse or something like that yeah he says it twice he says he says maybe freedom begins with remorse maybe freedom begins with with remorse so he has that and then and then later on he says i'm sorry i was that man that narrow-minded legionnaire um so yeah so and and that's that's not something you see in claggart or 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 iago um and then he but he also kind of universalizes a little bit as well and i'm not sure that he does this necessarily it's partly maybe exculpatory partly explanatory but he has this great image he says we all have a trash can deep within right so it's just there's this fundamental um uh fundamental flaw or or in or sinfulness in human nature that uh ultimately is going you're, you're going to tap into and part of what motivates him part of his jealousy is he doesn't seem to see that in santan which is why he hates him because he seems to not have the flaws that glue is is dealing with in himself well and that speaks to i think the the fact that that this is set in the french foreign legion <laughs> because if you're in uh, and again i didn't realize this because i didn't know that much about it but as everybody it seems like if you're in the french foreign legion there's a reason you're there you're yes. running from something or you're trying to make up for something so mm-hmm. so so it makes sense that that somebody who who's a legionnaire would 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 have that point of view it's like well everybody here's here for a reason every there, there's a reason that the, this person isn't at home there's a well, reason that, yeah yeah so well, that, well, that, that's a really good point sam because that's that's where this film is is where the subtext is its relationship to lapis Soldat. because in lapis Soldat, um the bruno character is a deserter from the french army so one of the reasons why Denis picks up that character and puts her in the French Foreign Legion is she's doing what you love to do with films, which is what happens afterwards. Exactly. So she's thinking like, what happened to Godard's character after the movie ended? Well, it turns out he ran off and joined the French Foreign Legion. <laughs> so have you seen that film? Yes, I have. Can you tell? I mean, I, I've read about it, but can you tell listeners uh, a little bit about that if they're if they're unfamiliar? Because it does. There is a glancing reference to it when she talks about uh, when um, Galou talks about how rumors dogged him after the Algerian war and but he would not confide in me. So it's like it's like somebody who has seen that film knows it, but Galou doesn't know exactly what that is. Right, right. Yeah. So the um, uh, yeah, La Pisodad is uh, actually when I saw I was very surprised. It was not the film I expected at all. It was. Um, but it was banned. It was the film that Godard made um, right after uh, Breathless. And I knew that it was about the Algerian war, but it's not actually set in Algeria at all. It's set in Geneva. And it's about this kind of battle between these agents for the Algerian revolution side and the French side. And Bruno plays an agent for the um, for the French side, but for reasons that are a little a little complicated, he becomes suspected of being a double agent. 
And so they tell him he has to kill somebody on the other side uh, as a way to prove that he is in fact not a, not a double agent. And all kinds of things happen. There are scenes of torture that get Godard in a lot of trouble. So it's a very politically engaged film about a war which doesn't take place in, a, in, in the war theater at all. Now, I'm curious, uh, because as I read about this, I heard the the Faustier character described in, in the earlier film. And then there's a line in here where Galou says he said he was a man without ideals, a soldier without ambition. Is that I think that comes from that movie, right? Because mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. whenever I whenever I've read about uh, Petit Soudat, they talk about him as a as a man without ideals. So I'm like, well, if they're using that language, is she actually even picking up? lines from that movie and and bringing it in yeah i i I can't remember i don't know if that's actually said in that film but it certainly is a way of characterizing him um the other connection she makes is is glue's second sentence he says i have time before me now those are the last words that uh that bruno speaks in godard's film oh interesting yeah yeah. and both films use voiceovers throughout um so la piece of is one of denis favorite films she just she loves that film I, I think the voiceover is so interesting because it's 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 usually pointed out uh, that that voiceover is the um, uh, is like a screenwriter trick. If you can't figure out how to do it, you just like voiceover is usually like a crutch, except when it works and then it's the best. Yeah. And what I love about this movie is it's as if she wanted to push that as far as possible to say, what if the whole movie was voiceover? I mean, there is there is some dialogue in this movie, but. But what I love is even when Galou is talking to uh, Forestier, for example, sometimes Galou's dialogue is said in voiceover, and then the response is in in the time. Like, 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 like it is. This is this is pushing at that edge of like, what if what if we did what if we just did voiceover? And I actually feel like it's really effective in this movie. Well, you know, I've uh, I've, I've got a. a, a... I've got my collection of key quotes from the film, some of which I've already we've already mentioned. And it's interesting. I've got about a dozen, a dozen lines from Galou, and then I've got four lines that are actually dialogue that Bruno speaks speaks to, to Galou. So it, it it and and those are very, I mean, those are like every one of those is like a really key a key theme or a key idea. So in a sense, what she's really doing is um and and because I was Watching, uh, taking notes on this, I actually realized, well, there's actually a little more spoken in this film than I was aware of initially, but it's mostly, it is mostly the voiceover. But what you end up with is a very, it's a very pared down narrative where almost everything that's said is important. So there's not a lot said, but everything, I mean, so to me, that's a really, that's a really interesting discipline she's exercised. Like, like what if you had a film in which you really couldn't live without any single sentence. It's almost, it's it's actually one of the one of the ways in which the film to me is very poetic. Uh, mm-hmm. Not only in terms of its use of images, but I think in its very sparing and um, strategic use of, of language. And I think there's only there's only one conversation that you get uh, when the woman goes to the rug seller. There's only one conversation you get that involves the actual Djiboutins uh you know speak, speaking and even that's kind of a that's kind of a key point as well mm-hmm. um i think this movie as i was thinking about it like it and and i i've read a lot of people who have different thoughts on on this on this movie i was actually surprised for this being so high there's plenty of people who are willing to say 
I'm not sure this is so great. Um, uh, I thought this movie, like the emotions of this movie, which is maybe a weird word. I don't know. This is a highly emotional movie, but like struck me as very, uh, as very real. Um, I like how Galoo's antipathy for Senton is um, almost more felt uh, than said or shown. Like I buy, I buy that it is real, but it's weird. And it's just, I also found it interesting that there's a point where um, it's actually right after he, uh, he describes uh CA as a, a man without ideals and a soldier without ambition. He says, I admired him without knowing why. Mm-hmm. So there is this sense of like, he loves CA and he's like, I don't exactly know why, or at least I can't express why. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, I hate Centaine and I, I can't, I can't actually express why, or I won't express why. And so we're left to, to kind of watch it, but also just feel it. Cause, because what's interesting and this has to do with some of the subjectivity is like, we don't see too much to make him like, to make him need to hate Centaine. Now, now you can feel potential, maybe micro slights in there or this sense that uh forestier is drawn to is drawn to Centaine or something but it's it's rarely hyper explicit so there is there is more of like you kind of need to feel this movie because it's 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 i feel like it doesn't over articulate anything even visually it doesn't over articulate like oh this is the original sin that broke his tie with this person it's just he said from the second he got off the boat i just felt this way about him um and this makes me think of like how wonderful the casting is in this movie to help pull that off if you just even look visually at um centaine and galoo uh you know that the the uh gregory colin uh who plays centaine is like such an oddly beautiful person mm-hmm. i was and i was my esme and i were talking about this and i was like the, the only comparison i could think of is like he kind of looks like a like a um like keanu reeves a little bit mm-hmm. who's another person where you're like mm-hmm. there's something otherworldly about the way he looks but it is very beautiful and then you get uh denis levant who has such a like uh uh i don't know how do you how do you describe denis levant's face um especially compared to to centaine <laughs> worn <laughs> yeah wet some kind of weather uh, po- weather pockmarked yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a it's it's a face that's seen a lot <laughs> yeah yeah and and, and but there's so, a kind of there's a kind of rough beauty to it though absolutely i mean, absolutely. I, mean I, I think it's a very attract it's a really interesting face to look at i guess is the way i would put it yeah and this movie's very interested in spending time looking at that face yes, exactly. so yeah so 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 but but even like the the um the way that they look could you could you can understand how that could instantly create a rivalry or a competition in the heart of um in the heart of Galoo, even if Centaine is unaware of it for for a long time. You know, that he feels threatened even if Centaine is not necessarily threatening. Because there's moments where he'll in the voiceover, he'll say things like they say things like he seduced everyone, and you're like, Did he? And there's times where when I'm looking at the the Legionnaires, like I'm like I can't figure out which one's Centaine at first, or it's like why this guy? They're they're all these like oddly perfect specimens of 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 like humanity, right? But it's like why does this guy do that? And and I actually find that really interesting that 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 he poses this whether it's real or perceived threat to Galoo that that then motivates so much of the action of of this movie. 
Yeah, he said, he said, you know, when I was watching the second time, he talks about that strange night. He says that there, that there was a strange night. And was it, he says, was it a kind of um, foreshadowing what was the harbinger? Come? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and that's the night where the soldiers are all walking down the street and they're hoisting. Well, first they hoist uh, one of the other soldiers. I don't know his name. They hoist him up on their shoulders, and then they hoist up Santan. And that's all I can think of, that somehow he sees that as some sort of special recognition of Santan, when it doesn't appear as though he's being singled out. It's just, it's just, it's just camaraderie among all the guys. Okay. That is a special thing. And that is a, that's a, an important scene, because this is something I did not notice until watching it. Uh, the second time through every time in Djibouti, when you see Galoo, what is he wearing? Oh, he's always wearing his uniform, except in that except scene, in the, he's wearing the disco. He's wearing, no, in the disco, they're still wearing the, the, uni- the uniform. I mean, not oh, at the end, true. but, he but, is, but yeah. in Djibouti, but in that scene, he is dressed exactly like he looks in the last scene, which makes me wonder, did that ha- happen? Or is that something he has created in his head mm-hmm. to 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 justify the feelings he had because it is when you watch that it is so strange because even that same night you see him and he's wearing his uniform then all of a sudden he is dressed exactly as he is in the final scene and it's the only time that happens where he's wearing the black shirt and it so it it, it struck me as like oh. th- there is something different about this scene and i wondered if that was him constructing something in order to i don't know if justify is the right word but explain something in him well sam that's really really great because you know i i i you know i've always had that i think you have to have that question about that last scene is that is that Djibouti? is it marseille but you what you've just said has taken me to a very different place which is um i think it is an open question as to whether or not he commits suicide Mm -hmm. And so if you think about him lying on the bed with the gun and the camera shows the vein pulsating in his arm, right? So what if it's one of those moments where his last thoughts before he kills himself are that, are that dance scene? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, and it doesn't really matter whether it's Marseille or Djibouti, it's, it's in his head. Uh, and it's, and it, it represents, you know, it gets, takes you back to the idea about freedom because he dances in that scene with a kind of frenzy and also a kind of freedom. And it's like, he's battling between control and, uh, and, and chaos. And maybe that's the moment of his death. Yeah. And, and I, I love that scene coupled with the phrase that um, uh, we said it before that uh, uh, freedom begins with remorse because mm. over the course of this film, we do see him in reflection, start to talk of start to, Talk about remorse. You know, I wish I wasn't that soldier. Now, as I as I walk through this, as I walk through the past, I realize I wish I wasn't that legionnaire. Yes. Um, and 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 maybe that is this again. Whether freedom comes at the you know at the the barrel of a gun, you know mm-hmm. that that's the only way he can free himself, or if it is just he is allowed to finally put the past behind him. If if it's if that is actually what he does later that night, because we see him preparing that shirt throughout you know throughout the time in marseille so so either read of that shows that that this that you know maybe there is a kind of reckoning that he can he can have with himself Mm -hmm. and i love i love how unspoken 
again the 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 root of that of that jealousy that he has is because it feels both like sibling rivalry right that that uh that they are maybe older and younger brother and forstier is is the parent which feels monomythic in a kind of even Cain and Abel sort of way mm-hmm. um or, or or is it a love triangle you know and there and, and there's a lot of writing about this movie um that that says you know well this is this is about uh you know uh Galoo loving Forestier and being afraid that 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 Forestier is going to love Santane instead of loving him. I mean, he has that great line where he says, I was the perfect legionnaire and he didn't give a damn. You know, there's <laughs> sense of and, and that that that's to me that feels like it that feels like love triangle, but that really feels like sibling rivalry. It's like I was the perfect son and yet you loved this other one more. You know, mm-hmm. and like and 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 that's such a that's such a great depiction of jealousy, I think. Uh, and it does it doesn't it's not an either or. I mean, uh, a love triangle can contain that feeling of sibling rivalry and that sort of questing for parental approval, um, you know, in, in all kinds of, you know, Freudian ways that 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 works. Yeah. Um, other things about this movie that that I, I really loved uh how much this movie is about the male body, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and I, I heard a quote from Denis where she was like, that's the only thing I was interested in was <laughs> like putting, putting bodies on film, put, you know, and, and man, does she, does she do that in the same way we talk about other filmmakers where it's like, it's all about showing the human face. This, this movie at times feels like this is about the human tort, the male torso or something like it's, 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 it's really fascinating and, and beautiful in a kind of way. Um, but so we have, but we also have this, like the masculine and the feminine, because we also see these legionnaires, you know, training their bodies, preparing for a war they'll probably never fight. And then we see them spending a lot of time doing laundry, you know, <laughs> and that's in that, that, that is, that is juxtaposed with watching like Rahel do laundry. Mm-hmm. So it's like, um, you know, then they're, and they're iron that, you know, they're spending all this time ironing, which also makes you wonder like, you're in the middle of Djibouti. Who cares whether you have like perfect creases on your shirts, but it is the most important thing, you know, to, you know, to create these appearances and, and, you know, to do this. Um, So, so I found, I found that um, really interesting. And then you get the kind of uh, military training and dance, you know, I felt good. I didn't know the end of this movie, but as I was watching it, I thought, man, this movie seems like it's about dance. (laughs) Like when you watch some, so much of the training, it feels like that. It feels like they're doing stretches. They're doing kind of uh, yoga or tai chi or something like that. That that and and then and then some of the activities they do literally are a kind of dance. Like that when they're in when the whole group is in a circle and they're like stomping mm. their feet and like going in and out. I mean that that feels like a theater exercise or a dance exercise. And then you have the when uh, Centaine and um, and Galu are circling each other. Uh, you know, like, like all of this feels like dance. So the fact that this movie ends in this amazing dance scene is like, for one thing, it is abrupt and seems out of nowhere, but it also feels like this whole movie was about that too. If you look at it from a certain point of view. Well, you know, it was literally choreographed, you know, there was, there was a choreographer who as I, as I recall, had military, if not foreign legion experience. I can't Mm -hmm. remember, I can't remember which, but yes, it was, it was indeed choreographed. And I think, you're right. I think there are there's there's different kind of dances going on. There's there's the dance of the of the legion, but then there's the dance of of the of the disco. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that exp- there's a lot of dualities in this film, and I and I think that's one of the dualities that's being that's being expressed. Um, it made me think. Maybe this is a strange connection, but it did make me think of our recent conversation about No Country for Old Men, and what it means to live according to a code. Because um, this is a, this is a film in which uh, Galoo both admires a code, and at the same time he ends up breaking a code. I mean, Bruno says to him, you know, there's no backstabbing in the Legion. You basically know what you know. You know what the code is, and you know what you you know what you've done. But I want to get back to what you're saying about her interest in the, in the male body, because I've been thinking about some of the films we've watched in the last couple of months, and that is um, back to Jean Dielman and Ch- Chantel Ackerman. Um, and it, when we watched that film, one of the things we talked about was how interested she is in space, in the integrity mm-hmm. of space. And then we watched Tarkovsky recently, and he's really interested in time. Um, and I think that Denis is interested in, in bodies, bodies in space and time, especially especially the male body. And so there's a sense in which this is a film which, you, you know, we haven't talked about, does it make a difference that it's a female filmmaker? And it's a film that I think actually embodies the female gaze as opposed to the male gaze, which is often a criticism of, of, of cinema. And, I, and I'm not sure that that means that the gaze is necessarily sexual or homoerotic, um, because, but, because I think it has, it has elements of almost a classical admiration of the physiology and just a, a real interest in how bodies move through space. But at the same time, there's, there's an implication. Um, I love that striking scene when they're em- embracing slash attacking each other, right? They're, they're grappling with each other. And it's, it's, it's just beautiful to watch. And it's like, you know, is this about a sexual attraction or is it about physical discipline? And the answer is yes. And she's not making you choose one or the other. Was Galoo's jealousy sexual? Well, I don't know. Um, maybe he's got that keepsake of Bruno. He's got Bruno's bracelet. So there's a sense in which he's got this sort of romantic attachment to him. But at the same time, he attributes what he's going through to something much, much deeper or different than that. Yeah, I, I love how the especially when they're doing the like this the stretching yoga i don't know what how, how to describe that stuff like one thing it's out in the desert which is kind of a, which is this amazing visual and they look like statues like they the, like like you you look at their their bodies the way you would look at a statue and i heard somebody i can't remember which who said this but talking about how in some ways this feels like the like the movie fritz long was trying to make in contempt right mm. <laughs> where, where where he actually has the literal statues and stuff it's like oh this is it. this is it like she has created those statues here you know mm-hmm. um you know in in these uh in these men another thing that i found really interesting which i have not when i read i didn't hear a lot of people talk about is the role of religion in this story mm. um and again i think this speaks to the context of france in the late 90s where there is uh this is a a a a real issue um uh but but the fact that this story takes place during ramadan that you have at least three you're in a a muslim country you have three at least three muslim soldiers in the legion uh, in the unit of the legion so like whenever they when they're out working, like when it's time for lunch, every, you know, we see those three sitting off to the side. Um, and then the other thing that's so fascinating is, is I mean, to the thing that, that launches the kind of end game of that story is uh, Combe leaving, um, leaving watch. 
and he it's interesting because he uh uh Centaine says well he went to go to the bathroom but mm-hmm. we see that he goes to pray because mm-hmm. it's during Ramadan mm-hmm. that he prays and then it's Centaine's compassion for Combi but what's interesting is he's giving him water which Combi cannot drink during Ramadan during the day mm-hmm. so so like like all of that is so is 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 sort of a fascinating set of dynamics and um uh Galu doesn't really other than saying there were a few there there were these three muslims like he doesn't talk about that in the movie but he definitely singles out this person for uh i mean i i assume galu knows why combi left his watch that night yeah yeah i, I assume he does too yeah. but there's another no country for old men connection sam right because it's sometimes uh uh compassion you know, it's his, it, 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 just just as we have Moss going back to give them, mm-hmm. and, it, and both and both involve water, both occur at night, right? Um, and so that's that's really what sets off the the climatic events. Now, it's it. What well, another thing that's interesting about that water scene is the way she shoots. The one time we actually have like physical confrontation, and it is such a an odd mm-hmm. stage punchy. It's like they're. It's like. Um, my guess is it looks like it's filmed in real time, but they're acting in slow motion. Yes, is that yes. is that your read on that? Yeah, I had to um, watch it twice. Yeah, I mean, seriously, it went by. It's it, it both slow and fast, and I was like, "Wait a minute! Did it look? It looks so fake." I was yes. like, "That looks so fake. Did it really happen?" And I backed up, and yeah, it's it. I, I forgot from from what I can tell, it's them moving slowly in real time. Which makes me think of again, like dance and stagecraft. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so it's. It's it's a it's a kind of moment where uh, it it either breaks the reality of the film for a moment to point something out to you, or it is uh, again if this is if if we are watching this from the point of view of Galu, it might be him thinking about what did Centen actually do, and you know and and like so he is you know maybe slowing it down in his head, or maybe he's even thinking. You know, as I look back on it, like all he did was that. And so it becomes this thing which feels artificial instead of this like real deep, you know, um, uh, mm-hmm. act of aggression, you know, like 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 that he's he's unable to process it in reality. So he's pro- like, I, I don't know, like it's the because it's the one time something like that happens, I think. And if it's choreographed, then he actually has some kind of control over what's happening and he doesn't look so much like the victim. Right. Right. Um, and then this then leads to uh, leads to the the desert punishment, the uh, taking mm-hmm. him out into the desert. And what I love, and again, this is uh, this is her not wanting to tell or even really show much. We just all of a sudden he's out on or he, he they're on that that truck going out and he gets left there and you figure out what what the what the punishment is and what the trap is. But you don't see him you know tinkering with the compass you don't see him explaining here's what your punishment is it just happens Mm -hmm. um and and again like there's no there's no difficulty tracking that you don't need all of those things it it is pared down to just have so all you see is is senton saying like i'll see you back at camp or something i forget what he says when when he drives off and then we get that amazing walk back through Mm -hmm. the I can't believe those are real locations <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. that like that, like the salt flat by the water. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it's, it's 
among the most i mean it's funny because in science fiction they can create any type of space ever and that's a real space unlike anything i've ever seen before yeah it it is it's uh it's a it's an amazing uh amazing region of of, of djibouti um i don't know exactly how to how to pronounce it but it's gubet g-h-o-u-b-b-e-t and what's also interesting about that of course it's a you know, it's a location he's going to, so they're on, out from under Bruno's watchful eye, so he can kind of do what he what he wants to do. But it's also got these uh, three three volcanoes uh, that are s- s- like sentinels. So it's three because obviously this is a triangular plot, and they're volcanoes because something's something's about to blow. Um, but it is a fantastic location, and when they go to that market with all those salt encrusted artifacts. It's it's uh, it is kind of surreal. Um, I, I want to think about the the Marseille scenes that we get, um, mm-hmm. because you know it, it it's it's intercut, and again the first time through I'm I'm not I wasn't always sure what was what was where. Now it's fascinating to think about the end of this movie when you think about the first like the first things you hear him say in the movie. So after he talks about screwing up from a certain point of view, he says it's a story of a soldier who left France for too long, a soldier who left the army as a sergeant, unfit for life, unfit for civil life. Um, so in essence, she's also telling you, like, you can figure out where this is headed. Like, like it's 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 not mysterious where uh, I mean, the final the final shot is a surprise, but like where we're headed is uh, is is not so much of a surprise. Now, one thing that happens in that line. And it happens throughout this, and 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 I'm going to ask you as a as a lit scholar, like there is a lot of lines in this movie where where they say something, then they repeat it. So unfit for life, unfit for civil life, mm-hmm. or the whole you know maybe maybe um, freedom mm-hmm. comes from remorse, maybe mm-hmm. free like like that is something throughout this movie. It doesn't happen all the time, but it's like this moment of emphasis where they say it and say, or it's mostly Galoose says it and says it again. Mm-hmm. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, you know, one one obvious answer is that that's that's a way to make sure your audience pays close attention. But I think in terms of the character, that tells you this is something that the character is really brooding on. It's as though it's as though he's enacting his own thought process. So when he says it the first time, you know, let's go to the freedom begins with remorse. He says it with the first time. It's kind of um, it's kind of an idea he's trying out. And when he says it the second time, it's almost as though it's beginning to kind of hit home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that's I th- so I think the repetition is both for the benefit of the audience, but it's also enacting the emotional or the psychological process of of, of the of the character. That's interesting because I was th- and and that lines up. But I was thinking like we see him writing in Marseille, so I'm imagining this voiceover is something he's writing. Um, so I, I what I guess what I imagined was he would write a line like unfit for life and it's almost like he's reading it back reading back Mm -hmm. that point and so to your point like he it's like the first time it just sort of flows out of him and then he stops and realizes what he said and because because it is off these these sort of kind of uh points of uh points of emphasis um and then we see him you know i i love the struggle between freedom or or um or having you know open time you know in marseille he doesn't have something he has to do and still the regimen of the of the of the legion like um watching him make his bed and watching him iron is Mm -hmm. you know like 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 he is so 
conditioned or institutionalized by the uh, by the Legion that it's like this is what life is supposed to be. But then we, as we see, as we move towards that final scene, and you see the the twitching of the muscle, you know, which then picks up the beat of the song, you know, in the final thing that there is like this other piece of him that has been um, that he has has been repressed or that he has repressed within himself um you know the, that that we see kind of explode at the end so i may I'll make a connection to a couple of other films that we've seen in, uh sam and one would be in terms of repetition thinking about pickpocket and how there's a place in that film where the same you get the same line three times it's a voiceover it's spoken in the scene and it's written down so that's that's i don't know if denis had that in mind or not but there is that kind of uh that kind of use of language the, the other connection I'm going to make is go back to our first film three years ago, um, which was Groundhog Day, uh, which is an exploration of whether or not it's good to live by rules. And uh, Bill Murray's character discovers that living without rules is actually kind of meaningless. Uh, and he ends up constructing a life for himself in which he actually has mm. rules to live by. And I think we see the, we see this happening with Galoo, that he discovers it without... He's, the, the life he is destined to live, the life that is the life for him, is the life of the, of the Foreign Legion. And once he's broken that code, he's really, um, he, he has no more, any, no, he doesn't have any mooring anymore. And that's the other thing that the dance can express, right? The dance can express freedom, but the dance can express the scariness of freedom, the idea that I can move my body anyway. It doesn't really matter. So that can actually, it can be freedom on the one hand, but it can also be despair on the other. And I think, I think the way he dances in that scene captures that kind of tension between, between freedom as a kind of um, liberty and freedom as a, as a literal, literal freefall. Well, that's what's interesting about that dance too, is we see him, and this is so brilliantly done. We see him with the mirror behind him but he's not looking into that mirror. He's clearly looking into another mirror because he's watching himself. And it's like, he's testing out is what is this life now? You know, like, like, and, and, and so, and it's, it's, it's almost what I love about the dance is It's not like he is just, it's not a choreographed dance. And, and it is, um, he it's, it, there are moments where he pauses in the middle of it. So he's like, I'm going to do the craziest thing I can think of. And then I'm going to look at myself and then I'm going to do something else. And then I'm going to look at myself. Um, and it's so there is almost this it's almost like he's testing to see like like what what is possible and, and is that good or bad well and and that leads to a completely different interpretation of the ending that that, that leads to an interpretation which says we've oh, we've known throughout the film that there is always a tension between the disco and the legion mm-hmm. because we see the legionnaires in the disco in, in in Djibouti so that's always been part of his experience so what if he didn't shoot himself? What if he got up off the bed, went to the, went to the disco in Marseille, Marseille and thought, yes, this is me. I can actually do this. That's possible as well. Um, so another piece to that final scene that we haven't mentioned is the tattoo, which okay. we see throughout the movie. And because I don't read French and they don't show it up close. I never, I was really curious, like, man, I wish I knew what that said. And I love that at the end we get we get a shot of what it says and and he even says it. But um, so the tattoo says "Serve the good cause and die," mm-hmm. um, which is uh, I presume is a is a, a legion motto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which made me wonder uh, why is this movie called Beau Travail? 
which means well, good work or beautiful good work, work could be beautiful work um yeah i think i well i i guess you could say it's a it's a validation i i don't think it's a validation of the military military but you could say it's a validation validation of living by a particular kind of kind of code okay okay it could also be i mean like, like it's interesting what is the good work is the good work the work he's doing of bothering to reflect on his life and and realize the remorse that he has for things he did i like again mm. i like that it's unclear but i think to watch this movie and, and this is another interesting thing from the the things i read and listened to people don't really talk about the name of it and i feel like well the name's really interesting yeah, or yeah, people have yeah. very different ideas about what what that means um like what is what is the good work and maybe listeners if you watch this movie you can you can let me know what you think the good work of this movie is or is it a an ironic title that there is not good work. I yeah, know. I mean, I wondered at one point, I Googled this, I almost thought of asking a French-speaking friend, I wonder if there was a French idiom involving that phrase, and I can't find that there is one. So. See, the, the thing that I was expecting was that that tattoo was, and it, it almost has it in there, was going to have the the, the words Beau like, uh, you know, so, so we have, you know, serve the good cause, yeah, which is yeah. similar but it's it is not Beau Travai on his on no, his it's uh, never thing. said in anywhere in the film yeah yeah so so that that's what I was expecting I'm like oh it's not that interesting okay um the other thing that I want to say about this movie is this is a gorgeous we we haven't really talked about how amazing this movie looks the landscapes the rocks the water mm-hmm. um the it does have some relation to the the way Deacon shoots some of the landscapes in um in no country where there are moments where you just get these just bands of color in this vast desert landscape. Um, what's interesting about this movie, and I, I again, I heard somebody else mention this is like it's a movie set in Africa where the predominant color is blue, mm-hmm. and you don't like that's not a color that tends to come to mind when when I think of Africa. I think of of um, I think of reds and reds, yeah. and, and warm browns and yellows and things like this, but this is a very blue colored mm-hmm. movie, both with the sky and the water. Um, and that's just, you know, and, and Denis uh, grew up part of her life in Africa. So I wonder if part of that is, you know, blue is the color of her Africa or something like that. Well, plus because of Djibouti's um, location on the Horn of Africa, it's a very, it's very key for controlling the sea routes. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another reason why water is important. Do you have other things you want to talk about with this movie? Yeah, the other thing we haven't said a lot about, Sam, I mean, we, we referred to the disco scene, but we haven't said really a lot about the music of the film. Oh, that's right. And, you know, so um, even the opening song, which is evidently kind of a legionary song, Under the Burning African Sun, a mighty phalanx hoisted up our banners, and you get kind of a freeze, this sort of uh, painting, and then that immediately cuts to the disco, and it's like, okay, just through the music, I'm going to tell you what the what the kind of clash is, Um Though I don't know the opera at all, but the passages from the Benjamin Britten opera, Billy Budd, that she uses while they're doing their choreography are, are I mean, they're just, they're amazing. I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit of 2001 and the music that shows up mm-hmm. when you see the monolith. It's just like, I mean, I'm not normally an opera buff, but I, after listening to those scenes, I was like, I'd like to really listen to this opera. This is really interesting music. And then the the scene I love musically is they're they're marching in the desert to Neil Young and Crazy Horses Safeway Cart. Yes, and I mean there's just so I mean the musical that I mean the juxtaposition of that song and those images it just seems like 
it's almost like Neil Young wrote it for that scene. It's just, she just makes such incredibly smart uh, musical choices. And even at the end with, with the, with the rhythm of, of the night, um, one of the lines in rhythm of the night is one of the variations on the, on the chorus is this is the rhythm of my life mm-hmm. by halfway through. So, yeah. And you I think just, about, you think about that muscle pulsating to the beat, yeah, exactly. what becomes the beat. Yeah. Exactly. So it just, it just, I mean, okay. So one more thing I'll say is this is why I love 90 minute films. And this, this is one of the, these are all the virtues of a really good 90 minute film. Uh, that's absolutely right because it it feels so it's funny to say this film feels dense mm. because there's so but but it not in a like overpacked kind of way but in a there's so much here in such an a, an efficient amount of time um and yeah i absolutely i i loved this movie and and this is one of the things we've watched here, this is one I can't imagine that I won't just keep watching. Like I'm going to keep coming back to this. This is a movie I want to show other people too, because it because it is it's I think it's just really 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 interesting. It's also funny. 1999 is one of these celebrated movie years, yeah. uh, and this movie often doesn't even get mentioned in mm-hmm. uh, in the you know because because it's not an American movie. But um, but uh, this is uh, the, I know this made a lot of critics you know uh, topped a lot of critics best of the year. He polls even for 1999. So yeah, I think uh, just quick, if I'm remembering proper, uh, being John Malkovich and Memento that we've watched are both 99. Uh, Memento's later, but is this, later? Is like, this is like this is like Fight Club and The Matrix. Fight Club, and, okay, sure. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, it's a it's a uh, I think Election was this year. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Barrett, uh, what do you have for us for next week? Well, you know, there's so many directions we could go, Sam. You've already alluded to a bunch of Vietnam films, and I thought about that. But I think, um, I, I think what would be, and I thought about Le Pis Soldat, but to be frank, I don't like that film that much, although I'm glad I saw it. But I think we need to dig a little bit more into the Algerian War, a little bit more into France and Africa. So uh, Gilo Pantacorvo's uh, The Battle of Algiers, from 1966 is uh, next on the docket. I love it. I wrote it down before you said the title. I was like, okay, I know where we're headed. Okay. Uh, this is also a big sight and sound movie. This has been on the list for, for a while. So I'm very excited. Uh, very excited to watch this. Barrett, thank you so much for recommending this movie and having this, conversa- uh, this conversation. This is, a, this is a really spectacular movie. If you made it this far into the podcast and haven't seen Bo Trevi, it's a hundred, it's a, it's 93 minutes and it's phenomenal. And I don't even think we ruined that much of the like kind of amazing surprises in this. Um, it's, it's great. You should watch it. Thank you so much for having this conversation. That is all the time that we have, but we will be back next week to talk about the battle of Algiers in the video store.